Mark chapter 2, uh, we're reading, I'm actually reading through from verse 18 to uh, verse 6 of chapter 3. I think I was supposed to read from verse uh, 23 today. But tying in with what I did last week, um, I, I thought I'd just tie the two together, so we've got a little bit of a, a repeat. So from verse 18 uh, of chapter 2 through to verse 6 of chapter 3, it should be on the screen. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the cornfields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck ears of corn. The disciples were saying to him, Look, why, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Sorry, the Pharisees were saying to him, Why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save life or to kill. But they were silent. And he, and he looked round at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. I don't know, when you read that, you realize Jesus wasn't in the people-pleasing business. The, the end product of that, of him healing this man with a withered hand, is that the Pharisees are trying to plan, how do we kill Jesus? This guy's an offense to us. I've got three points once again. And interestingly, what Eob said, um, I'm starting with my last point from last week about, about having an expectation of hearing something new. I had to chuckle because I thought, actually, I'm repeating my last point from last week. However, I then go on so hopefully some new things. But also what I was thinking as I was, we were just worshipping, you know, my last point from last week might come fresh today. And you think, I've never heard it. Most people I find when I repeat myself as a preacher go, never heard that before. And usually when you get a guest speaker comes in, Terry Virgo or someone, and says exactly what we always say, they go, wow, isn't that amazing? Do you, do you ever find that? It's just soul-destroying. <laughs> just soul-destroying. I think I've been saying that all my life. That's how it is, though. So I pray that whatever comes, comes fresh and new. 
breaking the mold. The Jewish religion had within it certain set patterns for relating to God. Regular times of doing certain religious duties, regular animal sacrifices, very strict Sabbath-keeping. Saturday was their Sabbath day, and on that day they were not allowed to do any physical work, weren't allowed to buy or sell and things like that. They had to pray a number of times each day and also had regular fasting days. As I said last week, we see in our reading that this must have been one of those times when the law said there should be fasting. John the Baptist's disciples were fasting. The Pharisees' disciples were fasting. So the question comes to Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus' reply is very important. He compared his disciples to companions of a bridegroom, a bridegroom with he himself as the bridegroom. As long as he was with them, there was no reason for an outward demonstration of sorrow, but the days were coming when he'd be taken away, and then they would have reason to fast. And then Jesus says something that is pivotal in our understanding of the gospel and the Christian life, and that's why I'm I'm repeating it this week. I'm going to repeat verses 21 uh, and, and and 22. Just repeat them again. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. The wine was destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. So there's, there's the two pictures, this old garment with a tear in it. I have a, a dressing gown, and the elbow's torn. That shows how old it is. And Jean says, I'll get you a patch. Thanks. I like a new dressing gown, actually. I'll get you a patch, right? And the problem is, it's got a bit bigger now, and if I go long enough, the the sleeve will fall off. But you can can get, you know, you get a brand new piece of material and, and stitch it on that, especially if it's brand new and unwashed. Then when you wash the dressing gown, what happens is they all go in different tensions and it just tears away. And you finish up with a bigger hole than you started with. Basically, that old garment is not suitable. You can't stick something new on the old. That's what he's saying to that. And then the second picture is about these wine skins. You see, they didn't keep wine in bottles, but they were animal skins made into containers. And the wine is placed in a new wine skin and continues to mature, and the wine skin stretches as the wine develops its flavor. But once used, you would never put new wine into an old wineskin because, again, as the wine matured and, and the pressures increased, the wineskin would burst, the wine would be lost. What Jesus is saying here is crucial to our understanding of what is called in the Bible the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Jesus is actually saying that in the Old Covenant, the law of God is good and right, but you will find no matter how hard you try, you will fail to keep it in some way. Anybody ever been able to keep all the, do all the things you should do? How many of you thought of, tried and said, I'll never do that again? Ever done that? And then you do. And you beat yourself up some more. Do, do you ever, you know, I, I will never say those words again. <laughs> do, do you ever? I think Jonathan's probably got it, well, he's, he's probably got it sus, but everybody else is going to struggle, right? Because... 
we're fallen and we struggle and it's like we cannot behave the right way. It just doesn't work, does it? You, you try and, and so what, what the, the old covenant put, had in place was a new system, a, a, a system of animal sacrifices and ritual observance. And, and in doing that, animals were sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins and people had to go through all these religious duties to be right with God. And Jesus is calling that an old wineskin. That old pattern of relating to God will not cope with the new covenant, the new wine that Jesus is bringing in. You see, Jesus, once he's baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit at his baptism, he dealt with the devil in the wilderness. He comes from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit and, and he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is right here. Right here. Repent, believe the good news. That's, he's saying, this is new. The new is now breaking in. That's why I've said it doesn't get any better this, because when, when Jesus came, the new broke in. Jesus is here. We're not, we're not trying to get, we're, we're waiting for God to do something new tomorrow. He's done it. He did it at the cross. It's done. It's a done deal. Jesus came. He broke in. He says, the kingdom of God has come. This is what all of history has been waiting for. And he comes and starts messing with people's heads. Healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. He wasn't very religious. He seemed to go to the synagogue. He goes to the synagogue, the religious place. And he heals somebody on the Sabbath. I mean, you can't do that, can you? It doesn't fit in. I love it. Jesus wasn't somebody who fitted in. Wonderful. Wonderful. All of history had waited for this moment when the king would come. God was doing a new thing. A new covenant. A new agreement between God and man was being revealed that would no longer be based on personal fulfillment of the law, rather it was going to be based on grace. Favor from God that we would never deserve. The Savior had come. Now, instead of us striving to keep the law of God, instead of us striving all the time to to be good and failing, Jesus would stand in our place and fulfill all the demands of the law for us. All the rule-keeping requirements were being fulfilled in him. And more than that, there'd be no need anymore for animal sacrifices because he was the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. In fact, all the animal sacrifices in Jewish history had only been pointing to Jesus, the perfect Lamb who would come. Well, now he had come, and everything was changing. And so he started to confront the legalistic framework of the religion of the day. He wasn't despising the past. He was honoring it. But now everything was changing, and so a new wineskin, a new way of relating to God was required wasn't built anymore on rules and regulations. Now we have intimacy with God through Jesus, and he teaches us to live in a way that pleases God, 
as we learn to live in a way that pleases God, so we find we can enjoy all the benefits of the kingdom right now. More and more, we live under the blessing of God. Wow, that was different. That's, we're, we're, we're recipients of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I get excited about that. I don't know about you, but, you know, it's perhaps because I'm a preacher, but I love it. Praise God that he loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus. Don't you praise God for that? If it wasn't for that, you know what? You'd have to do all these set times of prayer and bowing and all that, killing the odd cow and, you know, the priests would be doing this for you and you'd be... Seriously, that's what would be required. But that's, we're free of all of that. We don't have to do that. We're free. Because Jesus came. So there's only two wineskins. The wineskin of the old law, ritual, and animal sacrifice. Or the new wineskin of grace and freedom that's only found in and through Jesus. God does, seems to do new things in every generation. But he isn't really. He's just just fitting in with what's happening in the day. But it's the same, it's the same wineskin. It's not a new wineskin, it's the same wineskin of law, freedom from law, living in grace and freedom. It's the same, it's expressed in different cultures in different ways throughout history. But the old has gone and the new has come. And it's wonderful. Jesus came and he broke the mold of the old and opened the world up to the kingdom of God. I, I find that's glorious. That's our gospel. Isn't it? Isn't it? So how about living in freedom then? Because now Jesus begins to demonstrate what this new freedom looks like. Jesus and the disciples, they're walking through grain fields, and as they do, they begin to pick a few, a few heads of grain and eat them. A bit like we would pick raspberries or blackberries when we walk out for a walk. Not that I've been out for a walk for a long time, I knew jeans. And I haven't picked raspberries for years and years and years. But the idea is a good one. You should get somebody else to do it for me now. But Tesco, <laughs> Tesco says. But you get me, you get see what I'm saying? They're, they're, they're walking in the fields. A bit peckish. Happens to be a Sabbath day, and they 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 start eating some of the the grain. Not a big deal, you might think. Well, the Pharisees are showing just how legalistic they are. They complain that Jesus and his disciples are harvesting grain on the Sabbath day. Wow, these guys are so small-minded, and they've completely misunderstood that what the law of God is all about. So Jesus reminds them that King David and his companions were hungry and in need, and they went into the temple and they ate the consecrated bread. Bread of the presence. You find that in 1 Samuel 21, if you want to read it. Now that is a big deal. Only the priests were allowed to eat that bread. It's a far bigger deal than eating a few bits of grain in a field. And then Jesus says this, he says, The Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You see, the law of God is good and always will be good because it's God's. 
It's for the benefit of society. To have one day a week when we don't do work or business is good for us physically and emotionally. The Sabbath was made for men, for our benefit. Now, the legalists had made keeping the law the only way to be right with God, to the point where ritual observance became more important than life and common sense. You can't do that. Now, I, I grew up, Gene, I grew up in a, a very strong evangelical in the Salvation Army, and, and, you know, we did not go to the shop on a Sunday. You wouldn't, you'd do without milk rather than go to the shop on a Sunday. It was, it was quite strict. I didn't get ice creams on a Sunday. I wasn't allowed to play with a ball on a Sunday. My grandma said to me when I was a boy, you've got two choices, Sunday afternoon after you've been to church, because you've got church in the evening as well, in the afternoon, you can go for a walk, you can read a book, or you can have a nap. There were the three options. There weren't any others. And for a young lad, you think, boom, crazy. (laughs) You try to be right and holy, and you've just getting irritated and cross. And it had to be Sunday. Couldn't be a Friday. It couldn't be a Thursday. Because we like law. We, we, we drift into law so easily. And I'm not in any way despising history and I, I think Sunday's a great thing and I think it would be a, a wonderful thing for society if all the shops were closed one day a week people could have one day a week off I think it would be wonderful for, for society but we don't, we don't get right with God by keeping the observance of the law you see Jesus came and he is the one that fulfills all the requirements of God's law for us from a legal standpoint. So our standing before God doesn't depend on how well we perform. Isn't it great? So if I said to Raj, Raj, all the time, have you been perfect all the time you've been away in Canada? Charlotte's laughing now. (laughs) Pardon? And he's lost another coat. Hallelujah. Not perfect then, but you see, do you stand before God on how well you did, or ordered yourself, or preached, or, or and before God, you, we live, oh, did I do it well enough? And it may not be preaching, it may be something else, it may be the way I speak to my neighbor, it may be, and before long, all the time, we're, we're, we're measuring by performance, and then somebody says, and how many people have you led to the Lord this week? that's called law. And when somebody asks you that, are you encouraged or discouraged? Discouraged. Because you know whatever you did wasn't enough. It was never enough. I always think the people who ask those questions, you should just turn it on them and say, after you, you lead, I will follow. Because legalists do that. Legalists like to measure everything and everybody by how they perform, but the legalists usually are hiding behind a wall of legalism because what they're really like is scary. We depend on what Jesus has done. Always. 
at the cross, all the requirements of the law were satisfied forever. And so this new wineskin of relating to God is required. <sighs> Filled with the Spirit, I stand before God. I can stand before God totally clean, totally pure. I can come into his presence at any moment, at any time, in any place in the workplace, in the school, wherever I am, I can come and say, right there, I'm there with God. I thank you, Lord. I don't have to creep in. I don't have to apologize. I don't have to do this penance or that penance or jump through that hoop. I come into the presence of God at any moment, right in and say, thank you. I can talk with you. I'm free. I'm your child now. That's living in freedom, isn't it? Isn't it, isn't it you know? I mean, who didn't pray properly this morning? Oh, no, I don't approach God that way anymore. I might not have prayed for four days, but I can come before the presence of God. I don't have to apologize 50 times. I say, Lord, thank you that my basis of coming before you to pray is not based on how many times I did it yesterday, but on what you did, Lord Jesus, and I'm your child. Isn't that joy? By the way, I'm not decrying praying regularly. I'm just talking about freedom now. That's the new wineskin. It's offensive to many because it's free. If we go right back to the beginning of the Bible in the Garden of Eden, before sin entered the world, we find that God made Adam and Eve to be totally free to walk with him and enjoy life to the full. He told them to be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, to take authority and rule over everything that lived. They had total freedom to live and enjoy life, walking with God. He walked with them in the garden. This was their environment. Didn't have to please God by jumping through hoops. This was their environment. They were, they, they were God dwellers. That's how it was. They were free as long as they lived in relationship with God. Life to the full, not law. This dynamic, vibrant relationship with God. And God said to, Abra uh, to, Abra to Adam, you're, you're free to eat of any of the trees in the garden, including the tree of life, obviously. But you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. W was God being restrictive? Hardly. He was protecting them. He was releasing Adam and Eve to, into the life he had for them. He'd created them for. This is, the, this is how life works. You don't want to eat that. That'll destroy you. But this is what I made you for. A life in relationship with him. With him as the boss. The one in charge. He was God. They were made for worship. It wasn't restrictive. It wasn't demanding. It was, it was great. I live with God. I walk with God. What freedom there is. Isn't that great? That must have been something else, don't you think? No? I think that's just wonderful. That term, I used the term boss. See, that was like the wineskin they lived in. They walked with God. They lived in this environment. God's in charge, but it's not like, I'm a bit, I'm, I'm, I'm your friend, but I made you to worship me, to walk with me, to enjoy this environment. Watchman Nee, when he talks about his being filled with the Holy Spirit, he, he uses this. He, he's the resident boss. 
I love that term. The Holy Spirit is the resident boss, the one in charge. We'll talk more about that perhaps later. But Adam and Eve walked that way with God, and we don't know how long that was for, but what we do know, a, a time came when they decided they knew better than God. They were tempted of the devil. He made them question God. Did God really say? And before long, they, they take and eat the fruit they shouldn't have eaten. And that act brought a separation between God and man that we still live with the consequences of today. They were thrown out of the garden, cut off from the tree of life, and so death came into the world. That's the reality. They were thrown out from a, a, a lifestyle, a wineskin of existence that they were created for, and so they're put into this world, and they had to work it by the toil of their brow. They had to sweat, they had to work, and they would die one day. But God didn't give up on humanity. Although broken, we're all still image bearers to some degree. God had a plan, and he calls a guy named Abraham, and through him built a people for himself. And that people were given rules to live by that held their society together. They were given instructions concerning every area of their lives, and keeping these instructions were for their benefit. God also set up a system of worship and a tabernacle as they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And then once in the promised land, they had a temple in Jerusalem where priests could do the ritual sacrifices and duties on behalf of the people. God himself lived among the people, but his presence was limited to a gold-covered wooden box called the Ark of the Covenant. That box was kept in a small room called the Holy of Holies, right in the center of the tabernacle and then the temple. The room was kept hidden from everyone by a big curtain. A big curtain. Have you ever been in a room where there's a big curtain from top to bottom? And everything in you wants to say, wonder what's behind there. You ever been in somebody's house and you think, I just wonder what's behind there? Because you're nosy, right? Well, in the temple, there's this big curtain. And they weren't allowed to peep behind it. In fact, only the high priest could go behind the curtain and then only once a year. Why was that? Was God being difficult? Was God playing hard to get? Not at all. God was protecting his people. They couldn't cope with being being directly in his presence. He is God. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16 that Jesus is the only sovereign, that means he's God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, that means you can't approach it, whom no one has ever seen or can see. While we're made in the image of God, he's not like us in limitation and glory. He's not my pal. He's my Lord. Yes, he's my friend. But God is awesome in his glory. God is awesome in his majesty. Have a lead of Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. What happens? Woe is me. I'm undone. You read through scripture. People who encounter God are not going, Hiya, how you doing? They're on their face. They're on their face. They go, whoa, God is here. Let's, let's not bring God down to our level. Yes, we're made in his image and likeness, but God is awesome. 
God is amazing. I love the whoa this morning. It's like, woe is me, I'm undone, but whoa. However, whoa, you think God is, he's a bigger woe than that. He's awesome. He's unapproachable unless he enables you to come. In our fallen state, in our brokenness, in our sin, we could not come near a holy God like that. People touched the Ark of the Covenant and died because they touched the presence of God. He was awesome. He wasn't being vindictive. He just says, I'm not like you. And yet I love you. You can't come in my presence because you'll die. And yet I love you. That's what he keeps saying. And so they're going through the ritual observance in the temple and doing all the things and killing the animals. And all the time, God's behind the curtain. But Jesus has made it possible for us to go the other side. When he hung on the cross in our place, when he took all of our sin upon himself, we're told in Matthew 7 that as Jesus gave up his spirit, as Jesus died, the curtain that was in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. Whoa! That's huge. That's huge. Now the way to God is wide open. There's no curtain to hide behind God's. You can come before God now. Now eternal justice was satisfied. satisfied. Now our sin was dealt with. And now we could, through faith in Jesus, have access to the presence of God. Because now, when we come and stand before God, we don't stand before him in our own performance, in how we're doing. But we are hidden in Christ. We're hidden in the perfect one who has defeated sin and death. And so we boldly approach the eternal throne. And we walk before God and say, yes, Lord, thank you. I'm your child. And I have access. I have access now, forever, before a holy God. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? This is the gospel, folks. This is what the world needs to hear about. You can know God, you can have a relationship with God, but you don't do it through observance, through special this or special that, or fuzzy warm wobbles or all the other stuff you like. Spiritual experience, not decrying experience, but it's truth that sets you free. It's the cross that sets you free. Jesus dealt with sin, and as we put our trust in him, so we're born again. We're made a brand new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, the Bible says, and we, we stand before God, forever acceptable. Wow, I think that's worth getting excited about. That's, what I get, that's why I get out of bed in the morning, really. It is, it's, it's, it's even better than my model railway. Do you know what I mean? I can get excited about things, and we all have little you know, sports and football teams. It's better than any of that. This is what life is about. And this is life that goes beyond the grave for all eternity. It's about existence with God. Ooh. We stand in the presence of God because Jesus is our Savior. And he's the only Savior there is. The Apostle Peter says clearly in Acts 4.12, there's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We proclaim Jesus. We proclaim Jesus at every opportunity, 
It's what I love about the, the part of New Frontiers we're a part of. It's called Christ Central. Jesus takes first place. He will always take first place. I love it. And so we stand in his righteousness, not our own. But what does this life look like if it's not a life of striving to keep laws and doing religious duties? What, what, what is this Christian life like then if it's not doing religious things? Because actually, you know, the church throughout the years have actually put religious things on people. You've got to do this, you've got to bow and curtsy. And, and I'm, I'm not judging that. I'm just saying we, we like to think if I do X, Y, and Z, if I do this every week, this will happen. That's not that old wineskin, that's not new. So what is this new wineskin life? What is this new life like? How do I live it out? Well, actually, it's learning to live a life of obedience to Jesus as Lord, the boss of our lives. So my last point is walking in obedience. So often when people say, I don't have to live under law anymore. I can do as I please. Yeah, I understand that. Do what we like. God loves us anyway. Yeah, I understand that. But it's not biblical. (laughs) That God loves you, yeah, that's biblical, but that's not what Jesus died for. He didn't die so you could be free from law and mess your life up. He didn't die so you could be free from law and ruin ruin your life. He died to set you free into something far better. And it's called a life with God. Jesus said in John 14, 14 to 16, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This isn't law, this is love. And I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. And then what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus says to his disciples and to us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Obedience to Jesus is where true freedom is found. Obedience to Jesus is where we find fulfillment and meaning and joy. To be a disciple of Jesus is to follow him, to have him at the center of our lives. He is the good shepherd and he will lead us into a life worth living. Obedience to Jesus teaches us to walk away from our old life and step into this new freedom and joy. It's such a joy to know we're loved and saved forever. It's such a joy to know that Jesus is for us and wants to do us good. It's such a joy to bow the knee and follow where he leads. That's true freedom. Next week, a number of people are going to be baptized. And uh, yes, they'll get wet. But as they do that, As they do that, they are saying to Jesus and are saying to us as we watch, Jesus is now my Savior and my Lord. He is now the boss of my life. He is now the one in charge. 
He's the one I'm committing to obey for the rest of my life. But you've never heard that about baptism before. It's not just an outward demonstration. Oh, well, I've believed on Jesus, I've been born again. To be baptized is to say, I am now his forever. I'm putting all my trust, all my confidence in him, in what he did at the cross, and I will follow him all my days. That's what it means to be baptized. It's radical. It's a conscious decision to take self off the center of our lives and put Jesus on it, the resident boss. And he's a good boss. To follow Jesus is a life worth living. It's not like, oh, it's really hard. It's where joy is found. But that's what baptism is all about. Now, will they struggle to always fulfill what they promised? Yes, I promise you, if you're getting baptized next week, you will struggle, probably very early on. Once you stick your head above the parapet, you find the enemy comes hard at you. They'll get things wrong sometimes. But as they learn to walk with Jesus, confessing their sin and getting things wrong and just getting up again, asking him to lead them and help them, he will forgive them over and over and over again because it's not about their performance anymore. He says, I'm teaching you how to come into a life worth living. I'm teaching you now. I'm teaching you this is what I made you for. This is what God has for you. But it's about learning to walk in it. Does that make sense? I often think with children, you know, how do they learn to walk? By falling over. I mean, if they, I, I, I might fall, so I'll never try. Everybody, anybody? I, I come from a, a family of people who say you've got to be careful. We always joke about my dad, I mean, he's 92, so one day we always say on his tombstone, we're going to say, you've got to be careful. Right? Ooh, I don't know, you've got to be careful. My mom always said, oh, don't, don't, don't go near that water's edge, you might fall in. Don't climb on that chair, you might fall off. That's my. Guess what? I have a fear of heights that I have not conquered, and I panic in water. Where did that come from? You've got to try. I should have tried years ago. Gene said, Amen. I should have tried years ago and not be held back by... See, if you don't try, you don't fail. Have you noticed that? If you don't try, you don't fail. I'll never fall off a chair if I don't stand on it. I'll never drown in water if I don't get in it. So is that freedom? No, that's not freedom. That's fear. That's something else. And actually, Jesus said, I, I've come that you can have life. I've come so that you can enjoy a life worth living with God as your Father. And it's risky. And you know what? You will fall over and you will get it wrong. But if you make me the resident boss, I will take you on this journey and I will empower you and teach you to live this life. It's called the Christian life. It's called a life of discipleship. So from now on, as a child of God, we're learning to live out who we are. I used to be a sinner. I used to be lost. But now I'm found. Now I'm a child of God. And I'm a child of God forever. And I'm now learning to live as one. I'm now learning to live out who I am. That's the Christian life. It's a huge adventure. And I commend it to you. Don't hold back. Risk it. It's worth it. 
And we learn to walk in obedience to what Jesus says in his word. It's not complicated. It's a wonderful adventure that God's given us. Let's give ourselves to it, shall we? With renewed vigor. Look for it. You see, it doesn't get any better than this. This is it. This is it right now. I, I, you know, we can talk about buildings and I, will, I want all the buildings and I want all the things God has for us and we're working on that. But you know what? That's not what the church is about. Right now. Standing in the finished work of Jesus. Learning to walk. Learning to live as a child of God. That's what it's about. Let's stand, shall we? The band would, uh, well, the band, Bobby would come back and... Um, Excellent, thank you. If you want to pray for us, then we'll sing. Or we'll finish. If you want prayer afterwards for healing or anything like that, well then just come out. There'll be a team to pray for you. Lord Jesus, I, I love you. I thank you that, that you came and died in my place and in our place. I thank you that, that you came for us. And Lord Jesus, we give you praise. We thank you that you have won. The devil has been defeated, that sin and death has been defeated. We thank you that you've broken all the old stuff, all the, the, the old things that held us captive. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to come before God now through ritual observance and, and all of that. We come in you, Lord Jesus. We're hidden in you forever. We thank you. Lord, teach us, I pray, by your Spirit to live in the freedom that's ours. Yes, Lord, we want to be holy. We want to live in a way that pleases you. We want to do it right. Lord, we, we're not, we don't want to be careless about our new life. But we want to live in the new wineskin. We want to understand the freedom of it, the joy of it, the power of it. We want to be effective for you in our day. Would you be glorified in us and amongst us? Would you be glorified in Jubilee Church? Would you grow Jubilee Church for your honor? Lord, we're not trying to build a, a, an, an empire. We're not trying to build... We're saying, let you... We want you to be glorified. We want the people of Teesside to hear about you, to know about you, to be transformed by you. We're saying, Lord Jesus, come. Pour, pour out your Spirit on us day after day after day. And let your word and let the truth set us free as we press into all you have for us in our day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.